Hello, welcome to Mind and Movement, the podcast, where we discuss mindful movement through dance and through life. Okay, hi, welcome to part two of my two-part series, and this time I'll be sharing a little bit more about my dance journey and my dance lessons. And listening back to this, I really think this episode was really for myself because these are still lessons that I need to be reminded of and to continue practicing. Um, So yeah, if you listen to it, thank you so much for listening and for, I guess, holding space for me as well for my own journey. And I'm really grateful to have listeners and to have been doing this i've been doing this for like two years now um this will be the second to last episode that i record and upload for a while and yeah i just need to figure out my life for a little bit so i'm gonna take a break i do want to bring this back so that's it I'm just going to get into it. Thank you so much for listening. Okay. Hi, welcome to Mind and Movement, the podcast. This is your host, Justine Wang. And as promised, here is part two, except this time it is more about my dance journey and my dance lessons. And... It'll just be a moment for me to pause and reflect on the previous year and also sharing some thoughts and advice that I needed to hear back then. And honestly, thoughts and advice that I need to hear now. Uh, I'm going to preface this with my current headspace and this will help me, I think, really reflect on it. But currently, I don't feel the most confident I don't feel the most happy I feel directionless and um, just really uncertain about everything and you know it's probably a mix of a lot of different factors like the holidays wasn't really a good time for me COVID coming back (laughs) really strongly for everybody and feeling really alone and also unmotivated to choreograph and also scared of choreoing. Yeah, I think one of the bigger things that's affecting me is that if you didn't know, I just uploaded one of actually the biggest project I've ever done, um, Swan Song by Saweetie Nikki from 88 Rising which is the song that shows up in the post post credit scene in Shanxi. Yes. And I guess I'll talk about it a little bit so that I can really just air it out for me. Um, first of all, it was really wonderful to do the actual process because I had a group of really supportive, wonderful, amazing women who was so down and like uh, just really really amazing and I feel like I currently feel like that was the best that I've ever done with choreography I feel like this is the first time 
that I genuinely felt like I really liked my own movement. Um, but that being said, I feel like I gave everything to that project. And now I have like nothing left. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like I put all my moves, all my musicality, all my lessons into that video and it really translated for the first time in my life. My vision translated for the first time in my life. And there's a part of me that's scared that I won't be able to do that again. Which doesn't make sense because if I were able to do it once, I should be able to do it another couple of times. Um, But I guess the lesson for myself, number one, is that art is not linear. Like, you're not going to make one good thing in your book and then start making good things afterwards. And I feel like I keep expecting myself to make something as good in my head as Swan Song. And nothing is really coming to me because I keep putting myself or I keep giving myself that pressure of creating something equally as amazing as Swan Song. Um, In a similar way, I think I read this in Big Magic, where this person became the number one New York Times bestselling author, and after that, they felt so burdened and pressured to write another book that would be able to get number one again, that they just stopped writing altogether. And not to that same level, but I definitely feel like I understand that feeling right now, like, you know, art is art. And whether or not it's good or bad is subjective to the audience and the artist. And I'm sure that this is the best that I think I can do now, but it won't be the best forever and that I'll always be making art that's better or worse or rather just different from Swan Song. And I have to learn to remove this judgment for my own movement which is hard to do yeah it's hard to do because comparing is really easy so anyways that's kind of where my headspace has been at I know that I need to start choreoing again and getting myself back into this practice um But currently, it just seems really overwhelming. So, after this podcast, what I am going to do is choreograph four accounts beginning, like, the level only has to be, like, beginner hip-hop. I might just do four accounts of two-step, just side to side, and you know what? That's okay. I made it and that is where I'm at and that's okay. Okay. Okay, cool. (laughs) So that felt better. I am going to go back to that concept because it really is the most life-changing thing about my journey with art which is truly accepting where I am at 
and learning that it is okay and letting each moment be its own moment instead of comparing one moment to the next, which is a lot easier said than done. But yeah. Okay, so we're going to backtrack because I feel like it's important to start from the beginning of my choreoing journey, which was I've made choreography before, but I really decided to work on it in November of 2019. And here is the number one lesson that was so hard to learn and so painful, which is there is a gap between what I think I can create and what I actually create. And I think this gap shows up in many different things, but it especially shows up in dancing because, and I didn't know this, I don't know why I didn't know this, but I didn't really know it. Taking class from your choreographers that you admire and want to move like does help improve your movement quality but that does not mean you're going to end up choreographing like them. <laughs> um, I compare learning dancing to a language a lot, right? So if you think about learning a language, it's easier to listen and understand a language than it is to speak it, right? In order for you to actually know how to speak language, you have to practice the speaking. And that was the same thing with choreographing, in order for me to choreograph, I have to practice it. And no amount of taking class, no amount of freestyling is going to directly impact that as much as doing the actual thing. There's like this Instagram visualization where it's like a graph, right? And there's um, a gap between what you think you can create because you are spending a lot of time watching other people create it or um, taking class and where you actually are at and it sucks <laughs> um Brene Brown said this best so I'm gonna look for this quote really quick in her new book Atlas of the Heart which I highly recommend okay this is on hopelessness we need to learn how to reality check our goals and the pathways to them and how to take the shame out of having to start over many, many times when our first plan fails. That just summarizes everything I just said, which was the first time I choreographed, it sucked. I hated what I produced. It, I felt so ashamed because here I was thinking that, I, you know, I was going to be great and I made this piece and it did not look anything like I wanted it to and I remember calling up my friend Miko shout out to Miko as always um and being like dude I fucking hate choreoing like I suck at it and oh my god I quit <laughs> um that shame and that pain out of like failing the first time I tried it 
took me like three weeks to recover i remember i was just like i'm not doing this anymore like maybe i maybe i don't need a choreograph ever again and i don't really know what it was i think maybe it is because i do know deep down that like trying the first time and expecting myself to get it is not realistic so i need to start somewhere and then i decided to switch my mindset so before it was like okay i listen to this song i have a vision and i want to be able to execute this vision as much as possible and i realized that you know there is that gap between my vision and where i'm at and so i decided that I'm gonna take this a lot less seriously so I'm gonna pick a random song I'm gonna give myself 30 minutes and whatever I come up with I'm just gonna keep it and do a couple of drafts afterwards so after 30 minutes I'll sit on it sleep on it and I come back to it the next day and edit it as I want to and that was when I became more okay with where I was at because I removed the pressure of having to bring out a vision and rather just focused on okay like what can I do right now there is also this tiktoker I think his name is Josh um if you know what I'm talking about he's a dude that like reads something off of his computer and then like looks at the camera at the very end with his advice it's really great And he says that when you first start creating, it's better to create more than it is to do quality because you need to understand what it is that you are creating for yourself, like what tools you have. Okay, well, and and there's a separate TikTok that he uploaded that was like, we always tell ourselves that we need to come up with something new. But when you first start creating just repeat something for as long as you want to and eventually you get bored enough to be like oh maybe I could try this thing a little bit differently and you start adjusting little small things that make that first thing a lot different than when you first made it so instead of always striving for something different instead of always trying to come up with something new start where you're at If it's going to be four accounts of just stepping side to side, do that. Do that first, start there, and from there you can build on top of it. I used to think that choreographers were able to pull out choreography in 30 minutes and execute it amazingly after that. Like that was their whole process. When I saw the people who I look up to choreograph, nobody does this. Almost nobody does this. Some people do. Actually, we do. When I saw the people that I look up to choreograph and how they would go through one section over and over again trying to find the best way to do it, when I saw my friends come up with choreography, not know whether or not they would like it, come back to it the next day, execute it again, and try out different textures or executions, and deciding to keep the same moves after that, I realized the creative process is really messy and really complicated. Or, sorry, not complicated. Really simple, but a lot of repetition. And I don't know why I didn't know this, know this, but 
now that I created more pieces, I understand this now. I think one of the greatest contributors to why I'm able to make better choreo is that I was teaching at a Chinese studio pretty often and it forced me to choreograph like beginner pieces, intermediate pieces like week after week. And I mean, it was exhausting. Um, but because I was so focused on getting pieces out, I really didn't focus so much on like whether or not this was my vision. And I focused more on, you know, just like creating something that was groovy that I was able to teach my students. And when I removed, again, when I removed this pressure of like having to put my vision out there, it was a lot easier. And thinking about this now, I'm still forcing myself to put out some sort of thing that I'm expecting of myself. And I'm going to try really hard not to do that, at least for the next couple of months. I do think that, you know, there's a balance between like when you should challenge yourself versus when you should accept yourself. Um, And that's something that you need to know for yourself. But this is where I'm at. Okay. So I think that was two lessons, which is there's a gap between what you see and what you can create. And in order for you to shorten this gap, you have to start with creating and learning and recognizing where you're at. Yes. And I guess number three is that I've really come to realize in the past year and I'm still learning this because this is a lesson I always forget as well and need constant reminders a piece is not cool because it has the most intricate moves a piece is cool because it's so simple and someone is committing a thousand percent to that simple movement and I've really become I've really come to appreciate this a lot. There's a saying that's like, there's nothing new under the sun. And to some extent, that's like really, really true. Like when you groove, especially in hip hop, you're always going to bend your knees and, you know, do a rock, do a bounce. There's vocabulary to rely on. You can't create something new in hip hop. Like, like the foundations of hip-hop, I mean. Like, you're not really going to create a new thing out of it, right? So, like, just commit to it as much as possible. And because your body is different and your energy is different, the commitment to it by itself is really what matters. I learned this lesson one time in Voyage because Halima made us stand there and just portray an energy. For example, confidence, sadness, fear. And this was more like acting rather than dancing. But some people, especially I remember watching Micah dance, Micah Wong anyways I remember watching Micah dance or not dance perform during this prompt which was 
I think sadness or helplessness. And all they did was sit on the floor and like hug themselves for like a minute and a half. And it was like one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like for me, dancing really isn't about like the intricacy of the movements at this point. I'm really about being able to channel the energy that the music is telling me. And in order for me to do that, I have to commit to whatever I'm doing. It's less about the moves and more about the execution and the commitment to bringing them to life. And I think to tie into that, in order for me to showcase this commitment, I have to understand how to portray it in my body. And I think something else that really helped me, not just in choreoing, but in taking class and freestyling is like, I realized that when I was taking class, I was always paying attention to two things. Number one, the choreographer, and number two, myself in the mirror. That's where my attention went. And I was never really feeling my body. So it's like, how did I know that I was lifting my arm to a certain extent? Oh, I was watching myself in the mirror looking for that 90 degree angle. But what I really should be doing is, yes, look in the mirror, but also feel my body for where that 90 degree angle is so that I'm able to hit that without looking in the mirror. Because truth is, a lot of things happen without there being a mirror if you're a dancer. So I guess instead of having my anchor be on the choreographer and on the mirror and on external things, I really focused internally on what my body was feeling as I execute movement. And I think that ties into the other lesson, which is what you focus on matters. I used to only focus on technique and when I'm thinking about like executing technique I'm like okay like in this moment I have to be moving slower and that was all I ever really focused on. Recently when I dance I focus more on the feeling of the music and like really feeling that in my body and then I realized because I did have all the te technical training that once I was able to focus on the feeling of the movement, I was actually able to execute things better, if that makes any sense. I think this ties into acting. I'm not an actor, but from the little things I hear about acting and knowing about acting, it's like you can practice smiling over and over again. And I think to some extent, it is really helpful to be able to feel your facial expressions when you're smiling, right? But just because you're smiling doesn't mean you're happy. But if you're happy, your smile is the most genuine. So I think dancing is the same thing where it's like you can focus on 
the muscles that it takes to execute a movement. But if you're not feeling that thing, you're not communicating the genuine feeling of the music. If that makes any sense. I hope it does. This was all over the place. I don't even know what lesson I'm on. Um, so we're going to move on. A slightly different kind of segue, but I hope what I've said so far you've either resonated with or formed your own opinions about. And I would love to hear about your opinions and thoughts on this. You can reach me on Instagram at justine.wang underscore. That is J-U-S-T-I-N-E dot W-A-N-G underscore or at mind.in.movement. Okay, I feel like I crammed maybe like five lessons into one. So this might be a, a lot shorter of a recording than I thought it was. Um, but I'm going to move on and maybe elaborate a little bit more on the things that I just talked about. Um, something again that Miko said, I think if you listen to this Miko, which I might actually tell you about it, what a pillar in my creative journey in the last year, like, man, so many of my I was able to make a lot of the projects that I did make happen because of all of our conversations and all of your advice and support. So thank you. Anyways, one of the most life-changing things he's said, and he says a lot, is when you first start something, it's not confidence, it's courage. You only have confidence when you have the experience. And that is the most amazing thing I've ever heard because it's just so true like I always expect myself to be confident in the first try and then I get completely knocked down and yeah that makes a lot of sense to me and tying this into the next concept which is kind of similar to what I talked about the other podcast that there is such a concept as both and and I'm really trying to incorporate this not just in my everyday life but also within dance which is in order for you to have creativity you have to interact with the unknown and with the unknown there's risk and there's fear so you cannot have creativity without fear without doubt because that is the unknown you are veering off the traditional typical path to create something new and that journey in itself is uncertain and so it allows for new possibilities that you have no idea how it's going to turn out so there's no creativity without fear and There's no success without failure. I used to think these two things were two different things. You either succeeded or you failed. No, definitely not. (laughs) Life is a lot more complicated than that. And the person that really changed my mindset about this was AOC. I watched the documentary on Netflix, Knock Down the House, I believe. Something like that. 
And she says, real success is trying 10 times and getting one person to take a flyer from you. Um, as she was campaigning for her position in New York. So, yeah. Success does not just happen. And even if it happens, it doesn't mean it's going to happen again and again. It means you're going to fail a lot of times, succeed one time, fail a lot more times afterwards, and succeed again. And that's just the journey. And sometimes it sucks, and sometimes it's really rewarding. And something else, um, the other person that always contributes to my life in so many positive ways is Carlo. And something that he said recently was that, like, there is no good or bad art. It's either made or it's not made. And that's the most important thing. Wild. <laughs> Absolutely wild. And that is so true. And tying into the both and concept, anxiety really is just a high activation of your emotions. The underlying activation in your brain is what there is. We cognitively or unconsciously put a label onto that activation. When we perceive it as negative, it's anxiety. When we perceive it as positive, it's excitement. So anxiety and excitement are on the same spectrum level activation. And it's a lot easier, at least for me, to reframe my anxiety into excitement than it is to try and calm myself down like that's a lot harder to do it's actually scientifically proven that it's harder to do so eventually when I started feeling nervous in front of um, or when I started feeling nervous before groups I started telling myself internally the actual thought that I can hear in my head is you know what this is my body preparing myself to do groups and something else that prepared me a little bit more with groups is really learning to trust my body, like I said earlier. Um, to kind of go into the psychology of this, there's your unconscious long-term thinking and there's your conscious thinking, right? So in your prefrontal cortex, that's where your executive functioning, which is the conscious part of you that's trying to process the world and it's actually really limited right there's no way so if you know the okay so within your the research there's executive functioning and within your executive functioning is your working memory and your working memory can only hold four to six things in there at the same time and they prove this by asking people to memorize, you know, lists of numbers, grocery lists, whatever, whatever. And people are only really able to hold four to six digits on average. That's your working memory. And your long-term memory is everything else. It includes memories that you're able to access consciously. And it includes memories that you're not able to access consciously. Um... 
the best analogy for this, and I know like everybody knows about like the iceberg, but personally, I love this analogy of a grocery store. Your shopping cart is your working memory or your type one thinking or your executive functioning. There's a lot of different names for this. I'm going to stick with executive functioning, which is in your prefrontal cortex. Okay. Your accessible long-term memory are the things that you're able to reach within the shelves, right? So um, whatever you need to grab, you can grab and put in your cart, but your cart can only hold a certain number of things before it gets too full. So then you have to like switch things in and out. And then your unconscious memory is the way that the shelves are organized. It's the people that are bringing in the products in order to place them on the shelves. I hope that makes sense. I feel like that makes a lot more sense to me. Maybe, obviously, this analogy isn't perfect, but we're going to stick with that. Um, Anyways, so you have a executive functioning, which is also trying to monitor everything that you do. And I realized that I was relying too much on this monitor, on this working memory for me to get through the piece. And that's not how it works There's a lot of research on how when athletes are playing a game and they're really like in the zone, they're not consciously thinking, here's the ball, I'm going to run this amount of steps to catch it. No, their bodies are trained enough for it to be a automatic unconscious response. And um, if you actually ask an expert athlete to be conscious like for example focus on your foot while you're running they're actually going to do worse than if they were unconscious during the process anyways that's kind of what being in the zone means it's really letting your conscious thinking working memory prefrontal cortex whatever you want to call it monitor go and trusting that your unconscious subconscious will take over because you trained enough for it to happen yeah and I didn't trust that unconscious side of me for a long time until I had one of my privates with Carlo and he's like you know we always worry about like being a good dancer and like not messing up but like even now when music starts playing like if I'm trying to you know turn off the music in between run-throughs I even run on beat like it's really hard for me to not be on beat and I'm like this is so true um I don't know if anybody saw this on their TikTok but like there was this uh, one trend where it's like people pretending to be white people and like dancing off beat obviously it's a joke but um I don't I can't dance offbeat like it's really hard I have to like try really 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 hard to not dance on beat and it's yeah I don't know I can't do it and so once I realized that I'm like why am I so worried about messing up in class all the time and so realizing that there's something besides my conscious mind helping me out which is my unconscious brain, my body, everything else. That's when I was really able to let myself go and trust the other parts of me that I don't always have access to. Yes. And 
now, right before a group run through, in my mind, I am thanking my body for being able to carry me through it. I tell myself, body, like, I trust you. Thank you for doing this and let's have the time of our lives. I also thank the music for existing because it's also going to be the thing that carries me through it as well. And it really makes a difference. Like when I watch myself dance now, I look like I'm having a much better time and it makes me really happy. Taking class has been really, really great. Can't wait to do it again more often. And yeah, anyways, I just really miss being a student because I was directing and teaching for a while and I really took being a student for granted. Okay, so two last things. Comparing myself to other people. Now, I feel like people are always like, oh, don't compare yourself to other people. But I feel like it's really hard to just quit altogether And when I used to hear that often, it also made me feel really ashamed for comparing myself to other people. So I'm going to share how I move away from the default of comparing myself to other people. I definitely still do it, um, but I find myself being able to be more okay with it or to move away from it a lot easier. Number one, understanding that comparison is normal in our society especially because of capitalism but also it is wired in our brains to notice similarities and differences in the world this is how we navigate um this is how we navigate the world if we didn't know how to compare things we wouldn't know a computer from a water bottle from a human being from an animal right we learn to categorize things because it helps us navigate the world and the flaw in that is that we were never taught that categories are fluid um, and that categories and people change so on and so forth so comparison is normal especially in a capitalist society where that's always the narrative that you're gonna choose between two things there is a false um the myths of capitalism is that there's always a false binary whether that's gender failing or succeeding um even feelings like for example one trope is always like are you gonna pick love or friendship like why do i need to pick between the two why can i have both right So comparison is normal. Knowing truly what you're comparing is what matters. So if someone is more, if someone is dancing with greater energy than you, it is helpful to notice that and to work on that so that you can have more energy when you execute your own movement. It is not helpful to compare that person to who you are as a person just because they have more energy doesn't mean that they're able to do all the choreography in the world doesn't mean that they are automatically a better dancer doesn't mean that they're automatically a better person I think the 
the trap that we fall into is that we start comparing this one thing and then we start overgeneralizing it to multiple different things. So telling yourself that comparison is okay and being aware of what exactly it is that you're comparing and how you can really move towards that goal is what's important. Um, Tying back into the both and, this is the same thing between inspiration and envy. They really are the opposite sides of the same coin, right? Inspiration is a positive thing. Envy is not a positive thing. So coming from a place of inspiration and really learning those specific things that will help you take your next steps is okay. Comparison is okay. And then secondly, understanding that comparing one person to another really does not make sense. Um, Not to reduce people to just art, but one thing that really helped me shift my mindset, especially during groups or like even watching people on Instagram, is trying to see everything as an art gallery. So when people are up there, it's an art gallery of different people presenting art. And when I think about that, like class groups as art galleries or Instagram as art galleries, I'm really able to enjoy the person a lot more, right? Like if you even think about art, there's, you know, watercolor and you can put even more limitations to that. Watercolor, you have to draw certain lines, use a certain color palette, and everybody uses the same canvas. People are still going to create different art. And each painting will be different from the other one. And human beings, dancers, our canvas is already all different. So even learning the same choreography, even if you executed in the same exact way, is going to look different on your body than on my body so makes no sense to compare yes so when I started viewing I guess dancers more as not just artists but art themselves I was really able to compare myself a lot less and honestly I still compare myself every now and then But if I focus on this, it makes me feel a lot better. Um, Yeah. Okay. Last thing. I think that I used to be, still kind of am, a very indecisive person. I overthink a lot of things before I make a decision. And one thing that Carlos shared with me during this time of directing and running to like a concert video and a set at the same time he shared 1000 decisions one at a time you can only learn through experience and the only way to become more decisive is to make decisions and once you do like once you do you can review your decision and choose not to do it again, right? If you don't like something that you made, you at least know that you're not going to do that again. 
if you never make it, if you never make a decision, you'll never really know because you're just gonna sit there thinking about the different possibilities and get trapped in that thought process. I think that is the thing I really want to be practicing this year is instead of sitting here thinking myself into spirals of sadness, I just need to get up and do it. Um, Which is also, I guess, like a sub lesson. Um, Motivation. Motivation is temporary. Discipline is long lasting. So motivation is the side dish and discipline is the main course, which really means that, oh, and tying into this, starting is almost always the hardest step first because you need to start that momentum. But once you build momentum, it becomes easier and you end up having more motivation. Not all the time, of course, right? Like there's a limit to this, but I think this, I find that this works a lot better. So start somewhere. Your starting doesn't have to be perfect. And a thousand decisions, one at a time. And that's all you can do. And it is either made or not made. Those are the things that are sticking with me. And yeah also just wanted to say that this is the second last episode i'll be uploading for a minute i am just all over the place right now trying to figure out my life which to take my own advice i just need to start doing things again and i think i will soon i just needed to take this time to like really reflect on everything so thank you for listening to me ramble i hope it was somewhat insightful or maybe not even at all and it was just entertaining i hope like if you listened this far it must have been something so (laughs) thank you and yeah see you in the next episode